warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. podcast the very british podcast about very british movies with just a hint of professionalism and already my two guests this week are laughing and joking in the background there's going to be very little professionalism for these two because i'm joined by my co-host from the stinking paws podcast it's paul it's charlie hello boys good evening what we're supposed to be serious i did tell you this was the serious podcast out of the two oh, well <laughs> I'd just say, once you've seen this film, it's hard to maintain that level yeah. of yes, so seriousness. It's it's a bit of a you need levity mm, watching this. Definitely, I mean, we're gluttons for punishment, Charlie, because we reviewed it. I'm trying to work this out about eight years ago on the Sting. Uh, yeah, five or five or six. Was it because so Stinking Paws started 2013? I think it was about 2016. There you that go. We recorded this, maybe 2017. And wasn't that your first time watch? Yeah, I wasn't even really aware. I don't think anybody was, because it sort of disappeared for 10 years, apparently. I was reading up on this, and it took 10 years to make its money back, this movie. First time watch, Paul? Yes. Yeah, again, I wasn't aware of it until uh, we mentioned it a few months ago when we were doing the Sean Connery special. Special. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we did warn you to go in blind, didn't we? Um, Are you glad we did that? Yeah. I wasn't as shocked as I thought I was going to be. Exactly. I'm always worried, Charlie, because you can never judge how Paul's going to react to a movie. He's, he's got his poker face. Yeah, I think maybe I overcooked it too much, possibly, saying, oh, this will really disturb you. And without specifying what it was about, I probably built To be honest, I'm, I'm quite disturbed anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> but there is some elements that must have unsettled you in this. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's The Offence from 1973, directed by Sidney Lumet. We will be back after the trailer.
Oswald. Constables Turner, Davis, Cunningham and Connell report to the station office immediately. Detective Sergeant Jessard reports to the Detective Chief Inspector's office. The Detective Constable on standby report to Detective Inspector Cameron. Constables Turner, Davis, Cunningham and O'Connell report to the station office. The offence, released in the UK 1973, directed as I say by Sidney Lumet, starring Sean Connery, Trevor Howard, Vivian Merchant, Ian Bannon, Peter Bowles couple of other famous British faces along the line that we'll probably talk about as we go through this. I'm going to read the synopsis from the back of the Blu-ray, because I treat myself to this the other day to watch it this time round, Charlie. I mean, it's a bit strange, you know, treating yourself to a movie of, of this sort of nature, but... You can justify it because it's that Masters of Cinema collection. Yeah. They're nice to kind of keep, aren't they? Exactly, and it, it comes with a lot of extras as well, so... I don't think the uh, the guys behind the camera at FOP were judging me when I bought this. Today. <laughs> I don't think people who work at FOP should be fucking judging anyone. <laughs> oh, you do get some disdainful looks sometimes, mate. Here we go. The synopsis. I'm going to read from back here. It says, After 20 years, what Detective Sergeant Johnson has seen and done is destroying him. In their third screen collaboration, the iconic Sean Connery and director Sidney Lumet, the director of Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon, plumb the depths of what is perhaps their most psychologically complex creation, a member of the British police force who has perhaps witnessed one horror too many. Two decades into a career marked by fraught investigations into murders and sex crimes, Detective Sergeant Johnson loses all composure whilst conducting an interrogation with a suspected rapist, assaulting him and subsequently beating him to death. The lead-up to this moment is charted across the course of the film in a careful flashback structure, and the lines between guilt and innocence, protector and sadist, become ineradicably blurred. Released only one year before Serpico and almost a decade before Prince of the City, the offence offers an early Lumetian investigation into the psyche of a policeman under duress and the potential for corruption within a high-stakes profession. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? (laughs) Did the flashback structure throw you off a bit? Um, when it started, I was I was wondering if it was going to be one that starts with the end and then goes back. But it, the way it transpires is that it goes back to that start, which is the end, several times. And just adds a little yeah, bit of information and, each and time. And gives a different perspective each mm-hmm. time. So, yeah, I, the, the flashbacks... Originally, when uh, Sean Connery's character has them, I think it's when he's with his wife, isn't it? Mm-hmm. His flashbacks of the other yeah, crime. the other crimes mm. that he's in, and that's when I think for me the penny started to drop as to the fact that he was like psychologically damaged, yeah, uh, and sort of that would could possibly lead him to do such a thing. Mm. I don't know about you, Charlie. I went into this sort of knowing, yeah. So you you're watching out for that those sort of clues. Was there clues? You know, was it really given away too much? It was far more signposted than I realised yeah. on the first time watch. So mm. I think it really kicks into gear when he's actually driving home, having been suspended. Yeah, and that journey, and then he's getting the flashes of That's the, right, yeah. the arm the in the bed. And, oh, and, yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, and then like oh, this the, the woman hanging, hanging from the, the tree, yeah. and yeah. it's it's like, but obviously at that point it still seems a bit more kind of um, innocuous in the sense that he's he's just damaged himself. He's got what we refer to as maybe PTSD now. Mm. 
and then obviously it transpires to be something a little bit different later on, which yeah. is again we we were aware of, weren't we? So exactly. We, we're yeah. kind of watching it through. I know it sounds ridiculous to say we were watching it differently because that's true of any film that you rewatch. But oh, yeah. It really mm. is the case with this because of the nature of the conclusion of this film. I think. Yeah, I was able to relax a bit more this time round without you know, expecting the shocks to come because I knew where we were going with the film mm. and I was focusing a bit more on performances this time Same. round. Yeah. Same. And, and to be fair, like, let's, let's make no bones about it. This is a bloody bleak film throughout. It yeah. might not be shocking throughout because of the pace, but the, even the, the, the palette of the film and <laughs> the, the setting and, like, the, the... The whole thing of Bracknell being the focus, like, the town, right? Yeah, I take it Bracknell was, like... It was a new, like town. a new town. It's a new yeah, town, like Harlow and, yeah, Hemel Hempstead. I noticed when they were coming out of school and everything, there's no paths anywhere. No, everybody's walking on the well, road. Like, yeah, I know it's a new town, but can you not invest in a bit of concrete? Yeah, but most of the paths, if you if you notice, they're sort of like there's underpasses and things going yeah. under, under, you know, the roadworks and all that sort of stuff. And it is just this half-constructed location... And even that day, when the coppers are standing outside the school, it's one of those most miserable days where you could see the black clouds coming yeah. over. Yeah, perfect day for yeah. filming that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not having a go at the people of Bracknell with the town, <laughs> but it's it's the fact that even on a, a sunny day, it would still be <laughs> yeah. a bit new town, and, and even. Even the police station. Yeah, it was under construction still, wasn't yeah. it? Because you, there was bare concrete, breeze block walls. Stepladders everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. Be interested to know how sort of conscious a choice that was as a film or whether because it's based on a play. It was yeah. set in somewhere of that ill. Yeah. I mean, apart from the, the scene at the start, um, all the scene at the police station, you could tell it was a play because it, it was just so... Perfectly set. Very Lumetian to, yeah. to uh, use that. Phrase. Very, that's a great phrase. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sidney Lumet loves adapting from from that sort of material, doesn't even, he? Yeah. Even if it's not a play, because we was I remember when we reviewed Dog Day Afternoon years ago. Yeah. What he does is he likes to dwell in one setting in a scene for a long time, so that the dialogue really is what brings the characters yeah, in, as opposed mm. to storyline and narrative. It's, yeah. it's how people interact within a space for a very long time that kind of provides yeah. the energy for his films because it was a it was a three act play so there was the three conversations there was the conversation with the wife the conversation with the police chief yeah. and then the conversation with the Ian Bannon character um, and there wouldn't obviously have been flashbacks in the in the play so I'm wondering well, how would they have done that would they have done the wife's conversation first the police chief and then you would have seen what happened it didn't specify in the material no the Blu-ray but um, you, I guess you, you you get it in terms of musicals as well, though, don't you? Where they play around with the song order from like an original Broadway mm. production, on, and then on screen it will be different because yeah. they just think tonally that might work yeah. a little yeah. bit better on the screen. So um, yeah, I'd be intrigued to know really. Um, I don't know if I'd want to watch that play. Oh, you wouldn't come out of there going, "Oh, let's go down the pub after." Yeah, that's a great night. Great night of the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> But also, like, the scene in his flat, it was that very early 70s... Wow, everything was G-planned, wasn't Grim, it? wasn't it? Yeah. And I did notice when they came out of the flat after that, and it just panned up so you could see the outside. Yeah. 
My God, what a monstrosity. Well, did you it notice? Kid Brook looked lovely. Oh, but blimey, Thamesmead. Yeah. yeah. But do you remember the bit at the beginning where he goes to go in the flat because it all looks the same? He goes to the wrong door. Yeah, the wrong door. Yeah. Goes to the wrong door. That really adds to it, doesn't it? It's like, you know, think of all the stuff that he's having to deal with in his life. He's, you know, he's been in this job for a long period of time, so he's reached this particular position. He's seeing all these terrible, appalling things. He's having to deal with horrendous people. And this is what he's got to show for it. Yeah. Like, you know, people. I know people don't get into the police force for the money, but blimey, that's a grim existence. And yeah. With that in the day. Like it, and, and as you said, it's, it's the script. Because it's based on a, a stage play, the dialogue is key throughout yeah. this whole movie and you do you gradually pick up a bit of his psyche as you say a bit of his background but then you also pick up a bit of the history of the wife as well you sort of get to know their that, relationship that's really dark mm. I, mean, I mean a couple of the things he says to the wife in that argument about that's being just, ugly oh, and all that sort well, of stuff yeah, it's, it's just like no you've you've never been pretty sort of thing yeah. it's just like oh it's like he's sort of saying I tried to construct what was deemed a normal life Mm. and I just sort of married you because you were an accessory for that you know I imagine how the police horse was in that era where it's like oh he's not married what's wrong with him so it kind of feels like that do you know the the thing I was getting was flashbacks to life on Mars oh right the um John Sim, John Sim. Yeah. that whole thing, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, it's all very Sweeney, it's all very, definitely 70s cop, you know. Mm. But I was getting that, you know, and it was the era of police corruption and all that oh, sort of stuff at the time, wasn't oh, it? Red Dick Riding, all those. Oh, brilliant. That's yeah. That's put me in mind of yeah. the David Pace stuff, yeah. really. But, um, yeah, given what you then find out about the character, it kind of makes sense that he would marry someone that he wasn't attracted to, to yeah. keep this yeah. kind of facade. <laughs> <in mind. laughs> wasn't there one bit in the conversation as well? Because he, he was going on a... He, he didn't actually say sex, but he, he said, oh, for once I'd like you to look up at me and have... Not just this kind of cursory yeah. thrust. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And the fact that they've been married for 20 years and not got any kids. No as kids. Well, yeah. I read something in, in the booklet that comes with the Blu ray as well that was very sort of poignant when it was talking about Vivian Merchant because she mm. was married to um, Harold Pinter, wasn't she? Yeah. And a year after this, he left her. And she descended into alcoholism. I, th- I think she was on the on the verge of alcoholism. She looked a bit yeah. in the face yeah. in that regard, didn't she? And then Pinter leaves her a year after this, and that's it. She's dead within a couple of years. if you compare yeah. how she looked when she, she was really attractive, like in, in Alfie and, and exactly. things like that. Yeah. Um, Do you remember Alfie? She's the older woman at the, sanat- oh, right, at the okay. sanatorium. Yeah. 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 She's sort of um, strikingly good-looking in that yeah. film, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, even even Connery looks old. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because he's got the Connery suave, but with just the, the flab and the kind of the slowness. Like it, it, yeah. yeah, well, this is... I found out a fact, I didn't know this. It was a quiz question that, true or false, Sean Connery wore a toupee in every single Bond movie. And the answer is true. Even in Doctor No, he wore a toupee. He was balding at an early age. So this is one of the very first films where he's allowed to like let a bit of air to the top of his head. And it's, it is, it's a breakaway from 007. Because basically what happened, you know when he comes back for Diamonds of Forever after George Lazenby? Oh, he, right. Well, he only did this on the agreement. Cubby Broccoli said, I will give you two million to make two of your own movies. This was one of them. He, he chose to do this. And the other one, which he was going to do, he was going to do an adaptation of Macbeth. But 
talking of child molesters, Roman Polanski got in there first with his version in 1971. (laughs) So he never realised his his version. I think his vision of Macbeth would have been bloody great. It it feels like the role that he was destined to play. Yeah, absolutely. Instead he went around in his pants in Zardoz. In Zardoz. I wonder if that was the other movie. (laughs) I've I've never seen it, but I've seen like clips of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's bizarre. Yeah. Is it John Ballman? Yeah. 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 Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so that was, but he's given, you know, what what a meaty role to sink your teeth into. What a subject to I, choose. I would imagine most actors of, of any quality would have loved to have been that role because actors quite often, especially famous actors, they just get the same old shit over. Mm. And over. You, when you played James Bond that many yeah. Ten years, yeah. I, I, I'm, Connery is my favourite Bond, and that's possibly my favourite era of the franchise. But I imagine it being quite jading to do over and over again, and to yeah. you kind of feel like you're selling yourself short as an actor by just reprising yeah. this role all mm. the time. And you want to show, you really want to show what you can offer to the world in a different guise. I think. Yeah, yeah, because it, he he done like. Before Bond, he'd done much sort of grittier films. He was in Hell Drivers. He was in Darby O'Darby. <laughs> I don't know why that way. He was in Eldrive. He was in Eldrive. He was in Darby O'Gill and the Little People. What was the war film we saw? The Hill? Uh, he was in The Longest Day. The longest day. Yeah. yeah. The Hill was Lumet as well. The Hill was yeah. Lumet. That's the, yeah, the one they worked in about 65. Yeah. Mm. Which is a great film, actually. Very, very good film. So there's, there's that plus point as an actor of becoming famous, but the negativity... Is that your typecast almost? Or, or you, Pacino, yeah, you're, you're taking yeah. the role for the money rather than for actually. Oh, this is a good story. I want to be in this. Well, he's certainly given the chance because most of this is monologues for him, you know, isn't it? It's, it's very long pi- pieces of speech that he has to. I think we may have had this discussion regarding Connery a few months ago, mm. where depending on what you've seen in his kind of uh, resume. You may not have ever been given the right indications of how good an actor he yeah. was. Like if you've if you've only seen some of the Bonds, especially sort of like Diamonds Forever, and you've only seen or, or the Untouchables is the only kind of acclaimed performance that yeah. you've seen. You would mm. kind of have him down as someone who's a bit tongue in cheek. Cheesy. Yeah. We see The Rock and, and those <coughs> sort of things. Yeah. 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 yeah, I know that's wrong, but. I think it, it speaks volumes that you've got to go and seek out a film of this kind of cult status to really to yeah. get that. Like this yeah. is this is easily one of his finest performances. Yet. But I don't That's think it was, legacy. and I don't think it was matched after this. No. Was he given the opportunity to sink his teeth into a proper dramatic? You know, he, he was 007 for ten years, and then came back in '83 or whatever for Never Say Never Again. You know, never learned his lesson. But in between all of this, like you said, Paul, it was Zardos after this, and um, things like Cuba and the Great Train Robbery, Robbery and, and Robin yeah, which was a cameo, and and then in the eighties, he sort of becomes self-aware. Does yeah, he does. He becomes self-aware after the Intouchables. He, he transcends. He transcends the screen, so you're not really watching a, ca- a character. You're watching Sean Connery, mm. but also there's this sense that certain actors they just become the property of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you don't get that autonomy to make. You don't get to make your own decisions. Very possible that he wouldn't have been able to make this decision if Cubby Broccoli, as you if it weren't for the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, we got to talk about Ian Bannon, Scottish actor playing an Englishman in this. Obviously, 
equally fine performance. He just... I mean, I don't know how you act with your eyes, but mm. he could. The, the, the looks several times he gave Sean Connery, mm. when, especially when he had hold of his sort of mouth and his Yes, yeah. And it's just... <laughs> Just the eyes were making you feel so uneasy. You could you could feel that brain working yeah. behind them, couldn't you? <clears throat> and it's where's he going to go with this? What's he going to say? Because also, I mean, up until really late in the film, you don't know if this guy is actually the guy because they've just picked him up. I don't think you ever find out. No, you, you don't actually, do you? I think I it's always yeah. ambiguous. Yeah, it's yeah. ambiguous, but. I mean, you've got no idea he's the guy at that point um, because he's been found wandering the streets, okay, mud on his hands, cuts on his face, whatever, and a bit of a sort of mental blur. But as he becomes more and more aware um, and starts talking, you're then like, oh, yeah, he's he's laughing a bit. There's a slipperiness. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a maniacal side to him, I think. But I think I think that's the genius of his performance that he in one in one sort of like moment looks like a very seedy kind of warped, horrible person, but then in the other he kind of exudes that normality that Sean Connery's jealous of, like the the, the wealth and the wife and the kids. Yeah. And even he I think even when he's talking to Trevor Howard at one point um, he says about how, oh, you'd look at him and just think respectability. Mm. You wouldn't think that he's... On one hand, I find it fascinating, the idea of whether Bannon's character, is it Baxter, is guilty yes. or not? Mm. And on the other hand, I think it's totally academic as to whether yeah. he is, he has done this or not, because... It's Connery's movie, really. It's Connery's movie, yeah. and it's Connery projecting his ills onto someone else, because before Connery's even spoken to Baxter, he's saying, yeah, it's definitely him. Yeah. yeah. The other, the other yeah. guy was like, I-60-40. Yeah. Like, yeah. But he's like, straight away, nice him. And yeah. you then find out, it's because he's projecting his own kind of... Yeah. He wants it to be him. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's that great line where he says something about my deeds aren't half as bad as your thoughts or something, oh, yes. he says. Yeah. And then that's when Connery goes absolutely bananas, you know. Um, and it's just this great performance that goes from fear to taunting Connery. Mm. You know, he's, he's, this man's in a position yeah. not to... Don't don't wind him up, for God's sake, but he does. seeing inside Connery's mind, isn't he? And he and starts that. playing with him, doesn't he? And it's just Connery gets madder and madder. I think Connery anticipates that. I think he knows that, like, if I, if I press the right buttons, he's clearly quite an intelligent man. Mm. He's got the ability to then trigger me, which then justifies me being able to beat him to a pulp. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. part of his rationale there. I mean, what one of the most sort of distressing parts of it is is when it, it, Bannon is saying that like about his faults, and mm. Connery actually breaks down and is like, yeah. "Help me, help me!" Like, because it's just like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" Then Bannon's won. Bannon's yeah. won. But I tell you what, the film could have fallen apart at that moment. It could have been pathetic. It could yeah. have been. Yeah. Connery didn't play that way. It's mm. believable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It is actually believable. It's chilling. Yeah, because he's he's realising that all his faults are actually making him into that terrible person. Because what was probably the most disturbing bit? Okay, the 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 girl at the start when when he finds her in the woods, yeah, like, and she's obviously been abducted and abused. 
but you keep getting little clips of her in Connery's flashbacks. Oh. Yeah. And each time, it gets more and more... It provides new context. Mm. It? Yeah. Well, That's the because... bit I was looking out for this yeah. time. I'm sure Charlie Be- would have been Because as it well. starts with just sort of her smile or whatever. Yeah. And, and then the, you actually see more and more of the torso. And then the yeah. hand comes in and it almost looks like it's more than just a sort of friendly, like, you okay sort of thing. Yeah. And in my mind, I was thinking... Is this going to totally flip, and it's going to turn out that Connery is actually the child of that? Oh, I can see why you say that yeah. because of the nature of the, <laughs> yeah, because of the um, the chronology of the film. Yeah, yeah, it feels more every time. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was. I was going. Am I seeing this right? That mm. it's gone from him being the heroes that sort of saved her to his his mind is now going. Oh, actually. Um, am I the person that he's beating up? That's that's a great way of looking at it. That's, yeah. yeah, that's very sort of like interesting. Mm. But there, there's also an element of it that even though he is like the one who's found this girl, at no point in the film do I ever. Maybe I'm saying it on a rewatch, and I've got mm. a little bit more kind of. I've been able to look out for things in the second watch. But is it? I don't know if he's ever that heroic. Mm. He's a bit of an arsehole throughout, isn't he? To even to his colleagues and then to his wife, and it's even in the pub where he refuses to take a drink. Yeah. yeah, refuses to take a drink off the landlord. Mm. No, I'll pay or will pay. Yeah, proper old jugs of beer. <laughs> that was the other thing. That pub looked a bit grim as well. That was like yeah, one of them old porter cabin pubs, wasn't it? Almost. Pubs, <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. Like, yeah. I mean, I've never been in a pub that looks like that before. <laughs> but it looked like something out of a clockwork orange. <laughs> It looked like something on a holiday camp, like a yeah. holiday camp bar or something, didn't it? <laughs> That's the like we said at the beginning. It's not just the characters; because the characters are the main part of this. But when you go into the backgrounds and the locations, all right, there's only three or whatever. They're as much of a character as the characters themselves because it just brings the whole I, I thing think down. It was, it was set so perfectly, yeah. Because if that would. Different as you said about the the rain and the gloom on yeah. the first shot. If that had been a sunny day, it wouldn't have give you the same feeling as oh, it's shitty, it's grim. You know something bad is going to happen. It's desperation as well yeah. because they they know this this guy whoever whether it's Ian Bannon or not has had three or four victims up to this point because that's what they say, you know. And it's like yeah, it's the desperation because they haven't caught him and the dark cloud quite symbolic coming over. You Prophetic fallacy. Exactly. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think what's interesting is that if this film had been set in Manhattan or Brooklyn, yeah, it would have been entirely different. Which is even more interesting when you consider the next kind of procedural film that Lumet does is Serpico. Yep. Because usually, when I think of Lumet, I think of New York. I think of yeah, or you think Dog Day Afternoon. I think of, I think of uh, American Police Departments and court courthouses. Yeah. So for him to be able to, to sort of take it to somewhere like this and still keep Lumetian tropes, I think, shows his genius. Isn't, as this a, isn't as Hollywood movie. in any way, this movie. No, it's just it's I, I think, Yeah. I think this is one of those films that having a big budget would have spoiled it. You, yeah. you wouldn't have got the same film. It needed to be a lower budget. That and a laughter track. Can you imagine that? That'd be brilliant. Canned and laughter. <laughs> well, it was written by a guy who wrote a load of scripts of Z cars. So, you know, so his feet are firmly planted in, you know, BBC cosy tea time drama. 
he's been let rip with this. You know, yeah. he's been given free reign to go, well, hang on a minute. Zed Cars I mean, really couldn't let me express I, what I wanted I to express. I can imagine this being shown late on BBC Two, maybe. Talking pictures. I think I saw it on Channel 4 in the early days of Channel 4. It wasn't a red triangle. I think it might have been. Because it, it was, I was just reading up, it was poorly received, didn't make its budget, uh, and it was just underseen. Mm. And Charlie had never heard of it. Yeah. I brought it to the table seven, eight years, whatever it was, years ago for the Stinking Paws podcast. And that was mainly because I wanted to see it again because I remember being like quite taken by the movie, but I was a little bit too young to, as we said many times, you know, under the age of 16, you really have to watch a film again mm. with adult eyes to really appreciate it. And watching it again now for the third time or the fourth time, it just gets better and better, it's this thing. The court, yeah. I, I think there's a. There's an element of that um, Pete and Tom syndrome to it where mm-hmm. people found it so dis- or the subject matter so distasteful that they weren't able to properly judge it by yeah. its actual merits. Mm. Yeah, and there you go back and you just see that it's a cracking piece of filmmaking and an amazing piece of acting. Well, all the, the four main characters, you know, Trevor Howard, Vivian Merchant, uh, Ian Bannon and Sean Connery. Absolutely superb performances from all four of them. Excellent script. Mm. And th- although... The cinematography is not anything to shout about. It is a vital part of it, this whole thing. But then, if you tried to make that film now, you'd use cinematography to try and get it to look that way. Yeah, get what you mean. Yeah, mm. to try and make it look grim, council estates, yeah. like, everything sort of... Because so, the people in that estate just looked downtrodden they, they, it wasn't a happy area <laughs> no. it, it didn't see and obviously early 70s was not a great time in the UK anyway brutalist oh. sort of architecture as well mm. it's that shopping precinct oh, that's right it reminds me it reminds me of going to like um, the elephant and castle <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, walking through the A-gate estate and the, the ramps and the kind yeah. of walkways between them is just oh it's yeah. It's, it's funny that they probably weren't even aware of that at the time. It was a good idea at the time, so they thought, you know, yeah. all yeah. of that. Abbey Wood as well has mm-hmm. got a lot of underpasses yeah. and everything. Um, yeah. Tim, Tim's Water Lights, Clockwork Orange. Tim's Mead and all that lot, yeah. The yeah. Asbury, where I live. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it's, it's, and you look back at it now, and we're talking 50 years, and it's like another world. You know, this was the hope for the future of Britain, these new towns that they were building post war. Yeah, everything concrete. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere, with no, you know, social infrastructure to. In some respects, it was a good idea because, like, you think where my dad actually grew up, mm-hmm. like Queen's buildings in the borough. Yeah. They were for, with no disrespect intended, they were slums compared to what they then had in the Asbury estate. Exactly, it was. The, the estates presented their own problems. Yeah, it created a whole new world, didn't it, of, yeah. of <laughs> disruption and hurt? Yeah. It is almost dystopian. Was your father a big man?
you've done? Your children? Children like Janie Edmonds? Your friends? What friends? After they read in the papers, the sort of animal you are. No one will hear. No one will come. No one will care. You and me and all the world. So, sort of in summary, Paul, your first time watch, was it as shocking as we made it out to be, to be honest? I I think the subject matter is is a quite a shocking subject for any film to sort of concentrate on. Yeah. Um, I don't think I was as shocked as I thought I was going to be or felt as dark as it, I thought it was going to be because it, it was... Such a great performance from Sean Connery, and oh, yeah. the, and, and and the others in it. Um, the acting was of a different level. Mm. Um, it's difficult to say you enjoyed a film of that ilk, but did you enjoy it? I really did. <laughs> I, I was glued to it. I I watched it Wednesday night, and I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was. It's one it of those really films, good. isn't it? It's one of them rare films that because just gets you. Constantly, you're trying to figure out, is it him? Is it not him? Mm. Is Sean Connery's character going to actually kill him? Because when you see it at the start, you don't know that he's dead. Yeah. And even the second flashback to that scene, you sort of still don't know. Because at the start, you see Sean Connery with his fists by his side, like clenched, and sort of a, a an array of people lying on the ground. And you, <laughs> you sort of go, what the heck's going on here? And in, in the second flashback to it, mm-hmm. you don't get that far. You, yeah. You've just got the beating of Bannon. Before they come in. Yeah. yeah. And it's only on the very last bit that you not only see him beat him up, but the police officers that try and sort of Get him uh, off arrest it. Yeah. him or whatever. So uh, it just brilliantly written in, in in the way that that happened. And as you say, if the play was three parts, I can't see how the play was anywhere near as good as the film because 
that made it so much more enthralling to watch. The flashbacks are essential yeah. to this version of it, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And, and each one just giving a little bit more and a different perspective. Didn't it keep you on the edge of your seat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. What about you watching it this time around, mate? On a different sort of experience for you, I suppose. Right, yeah, I was looking out for different things, mm. probably looking out for more of the technical aspects of it. Yeah. Um, mm. How signposted the reveal, if you want to call it a reveal, was. Yeah. But I think what I love about it, and I think it was certainly a conclusion I reached the first time, was I love how it, it sets you up to think that it's kind of a mystery kind of thing, like, oh, who's done this? Will they catch it? It's not important, it, though. It's not. It, it turns from seeming like it's going to be a mystery into a total character study. Mm. And that is a very difficult thing to achieve, to go from being kind of very plot-line-based yeah. or seemingly plot-line-based and all those those sort of story aspects being academic. Almost yeah. starts off as a police procedural, yeah. almost, doesn't Which it? Which we know Lumet can do yeah. well. Because you see the woman that witnesses him at the underpass walking away with the child and you think, OK, this is going to... Yeah, that's another great scene. But, you know, and you think... Okay, this is going to be like an investigation and yeah. they're going to start piecing things together. And it doesn't. And as Charlie said, it's not important whether Bannon done it or not because the way it twists around and the focus becomes Connery and just the whole getting into his head and, you know, just makes it a completely different movie. I think that's what adds to the shock element mm. is that it becomes a very different film than the one that you're expecting yeah. to be, not just in terms mm. of subject matter, but the genre. Very yeah. clever. Yeah. I say, I sat down, and, and as you've just said, it, you think, right, it starts at the end, and you think, right, now it's going to go through the investigatory sort of process, mm. and you don't really get that. You cheated. Yeah. Yeah. Because of yeah. his behaviour. Yeah, and it suddenly goes to, we've got a suspect, it's about him, and then you go to... Um, Trevor Howard, like interrogating Connery almost, and that goes on for hours, if not days, doesn't it? it? Feels <laughs> like, yeah, even though it's not, even though it's one section of the film, you feel like you've been in that room. With well, for that well you know it's time. been a long time because you put the lights on and you think, Christ, has this gone from day to night? And bear in mind, by that point, Connery's character's pissed as well. Yeah, so, like, yeah. he's not going to be yeah. entirely. Yeah, he's, he's down that bottle of whiskey very quickly. Oh, that bar! He's, he's, he's that bar he oh, had at <laughs> Do you know what? When he first went to that bar, and you see, he opens up the flap and the light comes yeah. on, and there's a plant coming out of it. Yeah. And I actually thought it was like a vivarium, like there's going to be a lizard. <laughs> Fish tank or something. I thought Vivian Merchant was going to put on Demis Russo. <laughs> Keith, yeah, I, I like Demis Russo. Edge likes Demis Russo. <laughs> It's that era, it's that whole 70s era, yeah. that's what we were saying, you know. I wonder how aware they were that it was going to be a snapshot of that era, though, for future yeah. audiences, because I would say it's a perfect one. I would. I'd put it on par with, like, Neil by Mouth of, like, yeah. the 80s. Yeah, it's a good idea. Because so yeah. you, know, you get these films like Blow Up, the Matthews and Blow yeah, Up. Yeah, yeah. But, like, yes, it's very 60s, but it's about as representative of oh, the culture yeah. at the time as yeah. Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whereas <laughs> this is genuinely. Yeah, like, that's how council estates were. But, and if the whole thing, the whole thing could be based on something that happened in Ratnall and you read about it in the papers yeah. as well. Yeah. You don't see that in movies of this era. You don't. 
a new town under construction, basically. Mm. Why would you choose that as a location? And in the end, it worked out as the perfect location because the location is un- is as unsettling. It's a character. Yeah, it's as unsettling as what we're seeing in the conversations that are going on between the main characters. Very disturbing. That, that I felt uncomfortable. That that school just looked like it was in the middle of nowhere. It was, yeah. It, it was on the outskirts of the actual council estate. Yeah, and even like an open sewer or something that yes, was playing the water. When they were looking yeah. for the girl, there was. Yeah, when they were looking for the girl, and a couple of them had to sort of flash their torches into or even go yeah. into those open sewers yeah. and you wouldn't get that nowadays and it would be very, very hard to replicate that if you were trying to make the film nowadays CGI yeah. wouldn't it yeah the yeah. school had the appearance of something that is all it, well, it kind of has because kids have previously gone this but you know when you see like if you were to watch a documentary about Dunblane or yeah. Columbine and I don't know actually because you know what's already happened there, but the actual just the building itself just looks like it's been affected by a tragedy. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's really grim. I'll just say I think of the whole setting, like you said, the the shopping centre, the the location with the underpass and all of that. Like it's just the, the whole unfinished nature of it, mm. coupled with a very lucky bit of weather. Like we said, that was just amazing. That that black cloud coming. Even over. when the police picked up Bannon. Mm. Like just before they were like up on the bridge looking yeah. down, and when they've got out of the car to to get him, mm. like you can see there's another underpass which obviously has something like a dual carriageway running through, mm. and there's no cars at all. Yeah, and and it's as you say, it's like it's this new town. Mm. There's, there's there's no one or not <laughs> overpopulated yet, and and it, it's a bit like an old Wild West ghost town, isn't yeah. it? In the fact that there's just a few hangers on if you're going in reverse <laughs> and, and a great great idea though a great concept to mm, use the more that. you both are, are sort of saying about it the more I sort of think how genius it is yeah mm. it is isn't it and you think and this is a guy that's not British that's directed this movie yeah. Yeah. he's the archetypal police procedural sort of courtroom yeah. director I mean, he, he made 12 yeah. angry men <laughs> which like another yeah. work yeah, yeah. yep i would like to watch Prince of the City. I think that's. I haven't seen it. Drew yeah, Williams. I think. I think it is actually. Yeah, I haven't seen that. So that, and I mean, before this, with Lumet, Connery made The Hill, and the Anderson tapes, which is a bit like he's he's sort of Cary Grant type sort of thing, you know, almost a Hitchcock Cary Grant type performance. And I can't remember what the other two were. I'm going to have to look it up in a second. But, but that, that's always great when you get an actor of that caliber and a director of that. Kind of having such a fruitful. They like working together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ian Bannon worked on the hill with a pair of them as oh. well. So I think that's why he was brought on. I, I weirdly recognised Ian Bannon before this watch, like when I watched it first, because of what was it? Waking Ned. I think. Is he? Is he oh, like, the one. The lottery um, film. Yes, yeah, the Irish. Irish. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. seen him in loads of. He was in Braveheart. I think in like oh, one of his. Braveheart, yeah. yeah, with the hood up. Yeah, because he's got. I think he's got leprosy or something. Yeah, he looks it like is. Like that Star Wars, <laughs> Um, there's loads of stuff Ian Bannon but he's Scottish he's Scottish by I've got to say Scottish by nature but he's all by birth how famous um, I think I saw because I was trying to find sort of stills from the film yeah and, that, and uh, I think he came up that he actually had a This Is Your Life episode so he must Ian Bannon was yeah, yeah I mean like, let's have a look I mean probably most famous for 
<laughs> I can't get the image of him with the sort of just the bloody, bloody mouth. Yeah. yeah. It, it's but, almost like an image from a horror film without being over yeah. the top. Well, on Real Britannia, we've seen him previously in Hope and Glory, the John Borman war movie. Yeah. He was the grandfather in that. As I say, he was in The Hill. He was in T- Taylor Soldier Spy, the TV version. Yeah. Oh, great, yeah. Um, we'll probably know him. Let's have a look. Private's Progress, 1956. He was in the original movie version of The Sweeney, 1977. Oh, I think he played a politician or something in that which was only the the second movie we reviewed here on Real Britannia. And let's have a look. It was in Gandhi, police officer in Gandhi, Gorky Park. Hope Gorky Park? Is that like... William Hurt. Is that like one of them Joseph Wombar sort of things, like LAPD sort of... No, it was um, Lee Marvin, William Hurt, Brian Dennehy, based on a novel. Was it Alistair MacLean or somebody? Like the crime sort of thing. Oh yeah, Moscow police officer investigating a vicious triple homicide. Sorry, yeah, it's more spy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, quite a famous face, you know, for, for, for many years. You know, he, he, his career started way back in the 50s. Someone who Connery must have respected massively and enjoyed working with. And it must have been, despite the nature of the film, genuinely enjoyable to sort of act in those scenes. Yeah. yeah. Well, they worked together, as I say, on... on the hill with, yeah. with Sydney Lumet. But, but, you know, in those scenes, in the interrogation room, they really would have been push- pushing each other to the sort of absolute limit of their yeah. abilities, yeah. I think. To do that stuff convincingly is masterful. Yeah. The original Baxter in the original play, mm. Gordon Jackson. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. And the play was revived in the 80s, the Sean Connery part, yeah. David Suchet. Oh, as opposed to Tash. <laughs> I don't think that Tash is real. Yeah, we're <laughs> just playing Apollo. Like, it's the Frenchman, the Belgian bloke. With little grey cells, beating yeah. the mothers out of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the play has only ever been revived just the once. Was it called yeah. The Offence? Uh, no, it was called something else. Um, it was called This Story Is Yours by a guy called John Hopkins. Who I think actually, was the, the, the film was going to be called something else actually. Yeah, I, I read that. Was it? I read that. It's something yeah. it mentions in the book clip, but I can't. And it just really didn't have. I'm not sure. They, even... they actually mentioned the title twice in it. Oh, what in the dialogue? Yes. Ah, oh, I can't remember what it was. As I say, it was called "This Story Is Yours." Was the original play? I'm not convinced the offence is a particularly fitting title for it. I know it, what it's in reference to, but yeah, it's... it makes it sound... I guess they're, they're leading you down the wrong path intentionally because the offence makes it sound like it is going to be an investigation film. Yeah. As opposed to what does... Which is what we've said all along, yeah. haven't we? Um, Ian Bannon was nominated for a BAFTA. Nice. Quite rightly, quite deservedly. Um, For this performance, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could argue that he actually overshadows Connery in some respect. I think he does. Yeah. I think he does, although Connery is the focus of it. As the movie progresses, Connery is the focus. I think Bannon's performance is absolutely fantastic in this. Again, because he really adds to that ambiguity. Yeah. That that's his performance. That that's that, that's worried me now that we don't know whether he's guilty or not. That's really worried me. I think like when you look at, there's a bit of a kind of. I mean, they're not 
they are on the prowl for someone to get anyone in when I, they find him. But I mm. thought, and I mean, I've only seen it once, but I thought right at the end when he was beating the shit out of him mm. and Connery like had that sort of mental breakdown. I thought there was like almost an admission now. Maybe. Just just in the dialogue sort of of saying that like Connery was now on his level and sort of had he mm-hmm. he could read his mind because of what he had done. But then he when never he admits, admits it, but he sort of I, I, I took it edges towards it. Yeah, because I sort of think Bannon had this look of disgust on his face when it gets revealed. And also, before that, um, Baxter's saying about how, because he's had to deal with bullies all his life. Yeah. And he's talking about how he's kind of psychologically playing an old schoolmate. That's right, he tells that whole story, mm-hmm. doesn't he? How it's still friends. going on, yeah. And I yeah. think he's, he's doing that to Connery mm-hmm. as well. I don't think it's because he's a fellow kind of wrong. I think it's like, yeah. I think it's like, I, I'm not saying he didn't do it, but I'm saying that, that he's taunting Connery as a result of this being another example of him being bullied. Yeah. He knows how to work bullies now. He's, mm. he's figured out psychologically how to get one over them because he can't physically. He has to do it mentally. And it's quite quick how he susses him out then when you think about it. Mm. Because, you know, he all starts off, he, if, if he's innocent, you know, he, he genuinely sits there, what am I doing here? Why have you pulled me in? But then it really sort of twists. It gets so dark. Again, I don't think Baxter's initially saying, I know that you're the sort of person no. capable of doing this crime. I think he's disgusted by his violence and his aggression. And he knows that coppers who are like this are doing it because they are There's a reason morally for it, yeah. dubious themselves. And yeah. not, not capable of that necessarily, yeah. but they become coppers because they want to they take their childhood bullying into yeah. later but again, life. Is this just really, really in intelligent directing and writing that there is this ambiguity Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so you're never going to know it provokes discussion on was he guilty was he innocent is this was he just sort of slating the police it's we've got to sit and watch this together the three of us and just try and work this out because there is so many levels to this now when you go through it is that therefore not what you'd sort of call a MacGuffin where mm. the, the original writers never actually decided yeah yeah. Yeah, that, yeah absolutely they could have just taken it from there and said it's up for the audience to decide yeah. and whatever you decide is right yeah. or wrong yeah okay I'm going to leave it there because we could dissect this film endlessly um, I'm glad I've watched it again Charlie I bet this has been a, it's probably the best viewing for you probably isn't it? enjoyed it more in the first time yeah. because I think that first time had such a, just an emotional guttural kind of mm. thing about it whereas this I'm sort of watching it how good a film is it like how technically yeah. well constructed is it and I think mm. I've come to the conclusion that it is absolutely brilliant it might not be a masterpiece but it's a film that should be seen it's Sean Connery's best acting performance I'm going to put out there not uh Diamonds are forever. No. <laughs> and as for you, Paul, I mean, first time watch, you said you're going to watch it again. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to watch it again in a few years' time mm. to, again, go through the experience of watching it, knowing what transpires, Yeah. to try and pick out different hints and different sort of aspects of it. Okay, that was the offence. 
we're going to take a short break. The boys have agreed to come back on Real Britannia in a few weeks' time, and apparently it's my choice. Cho- and apparently it's my choice of movie. Back after this, if I can get my teeth in. Get another kitty. Just today. Janie. My name's Janie. Janie what? Edmonds. You know her? No. She was almost naked when I found her. Did he? Oh, yes. It's in the hospital. The same hospital. She'll be all right. She'll be all right. Janie will be all right. She'll be fine. Right as ninepence. In a couple of days, you won't know the difference. Looking at her, she'll be as good as new. Isn't that something to be grateful for? Just, she isn't new. Good as new. She can't be, not again. He's, he's been there. He's had her. Well, what's the matter? She's alive. And she could be dead? Oh, I've seen them dead. A couple of years ago, remember? That girl, the bloke that he tore her in half, what was her name? Uh, dark hair. I can see her now. I can't. I keep everything here. All the... All the people, the things in death. Bodies. Stinking, swollen, black, putrid, and the smell of the death. Shattered, splintered bones. Filthy, swarming, slimy maggots in my mind. Eating my mind. Okay, guys, next time we're back, as we say, it's my choice for you. I'm going to go back to the mid-80s. Okay. It's a certain studio or a certain production company that I think the three of us have got a bit of a fondness for, Handmade Films. So it's giving you a little bit of an idea where we're going. We spoke about Mr. Michael Caine earlier. Bit of a hero of mine. Another hero of mine is Mr. Bob Hoskins. Okay. It's Mona Lisa oh, from nice. 1986. Neil Jordan, Kathy Tyson's breakout performance. I don't think I've seen it since 1986. I was just about to say, I remember seeing it in the 80s, but yeah. not since. Remember loving it? Charlie's gone itching I to have, say something. I have an admission. Yeah. This is a film that I've saved for reviewing purposes. <gasps> oh, I've never watched it. And I know that it's, it's hugely acclaimed as a. a Absolutely, it's that whole Neil Jordan era, era and, and Handmade Films, Channel Four, Film Four, mm. and it's it's filled with faces that only ever appeared in eighties movies, right? So obviously Bob Hoskins and Michael Caine, Kathy Tyson sort of disappeared off the face of the earth after this. Robbie Coltrane's in it. Kate Hardy, who was Bill Oddie's daughter, okay. played one of the Kemp brothers when they were the Crays. Played the wife that killed herself. Uh, Long hair. Um, the, yeah. Yeah, Um, she's in it. Sammy Davis, she was in a lot of stuff as a teenager. You'll you'll know the face as soon as you see it. 
Um, Joe Brown's in it. I'm a sh- I can't remember if it is Joe Brown, as in Joe, Joe Brown, Brown and the Brothers. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember, but I remember this. I mean, this the synopsis just to remind us. And ch- you haven't seen this, Charlie? Then okay. Genuinely, something I've always wanted to float as an idea to review, and never really. Oh, got in there before you, mate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The synopsis: After getting out of prison, George, played by Bob Hoskins, looks for a job, but his time in prison has reduced his stature in the criminal underworld. The only job he can find is to be a driver for a beautiful high-priced call girl, Simone, played by Kathy Tyson, with whom he forms an at-first grudging and then real-life affection. But Simone's playing a dangerous game. When George agrees to help her, they both end up in deep trouble with Mortwell, Sir Michael Caine, the local kingpin. So, Michael Caine's a baddie in this one. This is one of the most famous modern British films that I'm aware of, Mm -hmm. sort of being a glaring admission. Okay, cool. I can absolutely remember sod all about it. Same here. Absolutely, yeah. I I think I watched it when Channel 4 probably first showed it in 87, 88. A first watch for us too. It's definitely a first watch for Charlie. I'm looking forward to this one then. Good choice. Okay, guys. Thank you for coming along to Real Britannia. This is my other job. And and thank you for agreeing to come back. I dragged you into it. Okay. Guys, thanks very much. I'll see you very soon. See you later. Cheers. Positive shah. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir. I'm sick of beans. <laughs>